Well, welcome Rolling Hills Church family. i uh, just so, so thankful you're joining in today and from all of our campuses to everyone online, our God is at work and he's moving in a mighty way and I'm so grateful for you. Uh, you know, people have asked, uh, no, that's not my car. <laughs> I wish it was, I was a nice car, somebody at our church, but people have also asked, it is a 1964 and a half Ford Mustang. So I guess the half is they did convertible that year, but uh, it is a great car. It's fun to drive. And it's amazing because my daughter, Grace, our oldest daughter, turned 16 this year. So she had a 16th birthday in COVID. And so we've been working on driver's license, and now we've gotten her a car. And so we've been in that process of getting her her first car. She's been saving money and working and, and all of this. And it made me think about my first car. Maybe you remember your first car, right? My first car was a vet. I know, crazy, right? A 1976 vet. It was amazing, right? Everybody's like, oh, wow, love your car, you know? That was a Chevette, right? Okay, so it wasn't a Corvette, but it was a Chevette. But, but you know, it's still a vet to me, right? It was a vet. And maybe you remember your first car, Lisa, my wife had this huge car because her parents wanted to protect her, right? It was massive, like the big boat trying to park at high schools. And, and we all have these car stories. Well, we've been looking for a car, Finally bought a car a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm giving Grace my car because Mabry, our second one, is like two years away. So I've got a car now for her. And so we bought this older car. It's, you know, and, and so here's what I do, right? I'm a guy, you know, so I, I'm just working on price. And I get the price, make a deal with this guy, we go and buy this car. And as soon as I get the car, right, I get in the car and, and I'm just driving the car, right? I'm doing that. And then I'm trying to figure out as I'm driving, right, what the buttons are. <laughs> and it's a different car, so I'm like, okay, this has got to be this button, this button. And I can figure out most of it. But then there's still some buttons. I'm like, I don't know what that is, so like, I'm hitting this button. And then I get home, and I'm trying to explain it to my kids, you know, yeah, here's what the car does, and here's the thing. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm going, where's the owner's manual, right? I wish I had this owner's manual, but I didn't ask the guy for the owner's manual. I just jumped in and started pushing buttons, and I'm going. And, and now I'm starting to think about it. Hey, I need to know, right? How do you set this clock? Because I got to teach them. <laughs> and every two, you know, twice a year, it's going to come. And I still figure it out on my car. Like, how do I do that, right? Set the clock, you know? Or I like to know when the light comes on on the gas tank, how much time do I really have, right? I mean, how many miles can I really go? And I'm thinking, I wish they would know that so I could tell my kids, hey, you know, you need to go fill up when the light comes on. But you do have a little, little gray area there where you can go a little bit further, right? Or, you know, now it's got this hands-free thing, and we need that. It's the law. It's important, but the car's older, so it doesn't pair well with the newer version. So, so I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. And then, after we've had the car a couple of weeks, and I've just been like, yeah, you do this, 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 all of a sudden, I'm looking at the trunk. I'm going through some things, and there is the owner's manual. And I'm like, yes! the owner's manual, right? And I can flip through and it's got pictures and I can go to them and go, guys, this is how the car works. Like literally the owner's manual was put together by the person who built the car. The company who built the car knows how this thing works and you can get the maximum fuel efficiency. The car's gonna have bigger longevity. I mean, it is a win for everybody when we do the thing right. And so I'm looking at this owner's manual, and then I started thinking about this. I thought, ah, <laughs> God gave us the owner's manual, right? I mean, God who created the world, who created me, 
who created those around me, says, hey, guys, let me tell you how it works. And so often we just jump in and we're just like, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to push the buttons. I'm going to make it happen. And we don't really know. Sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't. And there's frustration. And God's going, guys, just read it. (laughs) And today we're going to see this. And he gives us a picture. It says, let me just show you how life is intended to work. And I want to tell you, it's better for you. It's better for everyone around you if you go forward in the right direction. If you do it the way God says, makes such a difference. Hey, welcome back. We're in this incredible series called Forward. And in this series, right, we're walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. It's called Philippians. And it is so deep and so rich and yet so practical for where we live. And it will make such an impact in our lives as we dive into God's word. Now, we saw last week, and if you missed last week, go back and watch, right? Because we saw last week, as we dove into Philippians chapter one, that Paul was writing this from prison. He's in prison in Rome, AD 61. He's been a Christ follower for 25 years. God's been working in his life, working in his heart. And 19 times in four chapters, he uses the word joy. I mean, there is just something different about him. There is a joy, there is a peace, there is a purpose, and God is using him in this incredible way to impact the world, just like God wants to use us. And he says, hey, you can have joy, you can have life, you can have purpose in Christ. So let's join together and see what the word of God says to us in Philippians chapter two. So open with me, Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two. We're just going to be in verses one through 11, because I mean, it is so good. But I want you to see this today. So maybe you've got a mobile device, access the scriptures at version, or if you've got the Bible with you, man, this is a great place to underline too. There's some powerful scriptures for us today. First of all, it says, chapter two, verse one, therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to say, what's it there for? Okay. So he's tying back to a his whole thought that was at the end of Philippians chapter one. In verse 27, he says, whatever happens. So he's going back to when he talked about to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul didn't know at any time if the Roman soldiers were gonna come in, arrest him, take him out, right? And be, you know, killed, beheaded. I mean, he's already in jail, right? And there's gonna be a trial. So, so his life was on the line. So he's like, to live as Christ, hey, I wanna live, I wanna go on, I wanna make a difference. But if I die, I go to heaven. You know, now I know this, I understand this, but, but I want you to know that whatever happens, church in Philippi, stand firm. You know, if I'm living and I come and visit you, or if I don't get to make it through and I get to go to heaven, hey, stand firm in the gospel. Don't get distracted by the things of this world, stand firm. And also work together. As a church, work together. Be on the same page, lock arms together. And hey, without being frightened, don't be frightened. Don't live in fear. And he says that, and then he says, therefore, if. Now, notice this word, if, because verses one and two are really an if-then statement, okay? He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have encouragement from being a follower of Christ, right? If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, verse two, then, So if you're a Christ follower, this is for you. Then, and notice this, 
then make my joy, there's that word again, joy, complete by being like-minded. So he goes, hey, guys, be on the same page. Encourage one another. Be together. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and in mind. So he's writing the church. He goes, guys, you be the church. You love people well. You serve people well. You, you know, we live in a time of divisiveness. I mean, in our culture, in our country. I mean, there's so many issues that divide people today. There, there's fear. There's this pandemic of anxiety. There's COVID. There's racial injustice. Uh, there's the election that's coming up. And, and it'd be easy for us to get caught up in all the things that are going on around us. It, it was the same back then. But he's saying, church, you be different. You love Jesus. You have encouragement in him. You find your strength in him and you love one another. <laughs> you lock arms with the church. You be the body of Christ. You be like-minded, have the same vision statement, purpose, core values. Be in this thing together. If then, and then look at verse three. Wow. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now notice that word, nothing, right? You see, so often we do a lot of things out of selfish ambition, right? We want to be right. We want to be right with our spouse, with our roommates, with our kids, with the, our coworkers. We want to be right. And sometimes we'll just get into an argument just to prove a point to be right. It's just selfish. I mean, there's no, no, there's no reason. There's no edification. There's no building the other person up. No, we just want to have our selfish ambition. We want to win. We want something somebody else has. We want to get ahead in life. It's selfish ambition. And if we really start to examine our motives, we start to examine our attitude, then we come back and he's saying, no, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The other day we were with our family and uh, you know, the song came on of the speakers and it's that song, it's an old song, right? You know, it says, you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. And we were explaining to our kids, we're like, that's a funny song, right? I mean, whoever wrote it, right? They, they wrote it and they were like, hey, you know, whoever's listening to this, you probably think this song is about you. It's not, okay? But that's how we live so many times. We think everything is about us. He goes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, notice that word, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, do we do this? <laughs> do we value people above ourselves? Uh, uh, many times we, we kind of value ourselves above others, right? But do you look and say, man, God loves the homeless person as much as he loves me. And God loves this person in another country as much as he loves me. God loves the people around me as much as he loves me. And I'm gonna value them accordingly. I'm gonna value them above myself, right? He says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So not only value them, but then how can I help them? How can I encourage them? How can I make a difference? How can I bless them? How can I look to their interest and not just my own? And then the key verse, right? If you underline, underline this verse, verse five. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul says, here's the picture, right? Here's how it works. Here's how life works. Live like Jesus. <laughs> Follow Jesus. In all of your relationships, be like Jesus. And then he has this beautiful description. And really verses six to 11 I mean, a lot of people think, like biblical scholars think that this was a hymn, 
a worship song that they sang in church uh, back then because uh, it's so beautiful, just about Jesus. And it's just great Christology here. But, but it was, you know, like we sing Cornerstone or we sing Living Hope or Great is Thy Faithfulness. This is what they would say, right? Here's about Jesus. Here's who he is. Who, being in the very nature, God. Okay, now let's stop right there. Because what Paul's saying is, is Jesus is fully God. And we see the divinity of Christ right here. Now, a lot of people struggle. A lot of people struggle. Let's be honest. A lot of people struggle with the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's hard for us to understand. I mean, he's sovereign. He's over all that there is. We're not going to get it all the time. But I loved how St. Patrick explained it. He took a three-leaf clover and he goes, look at this, right? You know, one petal, God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but three in one, all together, all one. And here Paul's like, hey, just make sure you know Jesus is fully God. That, that's why the Pharisees got so upset at Jesus is because he would say, I, I and the Father are one. I, I, Father, I am God. I mean, basically, blasphemy. But, but man, when somebody comes and knocks on your door and wants to tell you that Jesus was simply a good man or a prophet, you know, yeah, he was, or a great teacher, yes. But you got to come back and say, well, do you believe that he truly is God? I mean, really, I mean, do you believe that he is God? Because Jesus claimed to be God. And only God can conquer death, right? And, and so we come back to that truth. And for us to know that who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus could have kicked back in heaven. <laughs> I mean, he has been worshiped from the beginning of time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He could have just stayed there, but he didn't. He released his glory. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So you get the divinity of Christ. Now you get the humanity of Christ. That Jesus came to this earth, right? Born of a virgin, the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. What we celebrate every Christmas, Jesus stepping into our mess and our muck and our mire and coming, here's what I love about this. Jesus lived on this earth 33 years. Jesus went through everything that we go through. We don't have a God up in heaven who can't identify with the struggles that we face. Oh no, Jesus faced it all. Jesus knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by one of your best friends. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to have everybody against you. He knows what it's like, right, to go through struggles and persecutions and all the things that we face in our lives. And yet he did it without sin. And he did it with love and with joy and with purpose. He, he did it in a different way that we have a suffering servant that we can identify with, that he knows the struggles that we face. And why do you do it? And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Look at that word. He humbled himself, ties back into verse three, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, why would Jesus leave the throne room of heaven and come down to earth, come to those he created? Why? Because you got a holy God and you got sinful man. And Jesus came and he stood in the gap and he paid the price for you and for me to allow us to come to God. 
See, in God, there is no sin, right? There is this separation, this chasm. And Jesus stepped in. And Jesus lived 33 sinless years. And he paid the price. The price that you and I deserve to pay. It should have been us on that cross. But Jesus stood there. And now, because Jesus paid the price, we are covered by God's grace, right? When you become a follower of Jesus, when you bow and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to forgive my sins. Christ comes into your heart. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins or your mess ups or your mistakes. He sees Jesus and the price that was paid. And we now have this eternal relationship with God. Oh, praise be to God. And so Paul says, therefore, because Christ endured all this, because Christ went to the cross, because Christ paid the price to bring a loving God back to those he created, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Isn't that true? Jesus' name is above every name. There's no name on earth that carries the weight of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woo, praise be to God. I mean, that is awesome. I mean, that is the good news right there. And Paul says, hey, model your life after Jesus, follow him. All right, guys, I don't want you to miss this today. There are like four life-impacting truths that I want you to get. I want us to get. I need this today. So look at this. Number one, life is not all about you. Okay, let me just start right there. From Philippians 2, 1 through 11, life is not all about you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And you think about it, how many decisions we make out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? How many times do we wanna be seen or right or heard or noticed, right? Oh, that drives so many of our decisions in life. Hey, we are born selfish. I mean, we are. Guys, if you're a parent, you know this, right? If you have multiple kids, I mean, you can come into the room and one kid's, they're happy and they're playing with their toys and everything in. And then another, one of your child, you know, children will walk in and they'll pick up a totally separate toy. And what happens? The one who's over here who's been totally fine and happy playing with all this, they go, I want that toy. I want, I want that one. And you're like, what, what do you mean? You got all these toys. What are you doing? No, I want that one. And they go over and they start to, you know, have a scrapping match because they want that same toy. And you're thinking, what are you doing? you got plenty of toys. <laughs> but we're selfish. We're born sinful. We're born selfish. It's our nature. We want to push the buttons. We want to make it happen on our own. We want to do it ourselves. And man, you know, when we stay in that selfish ambition, we grow up like that. Well, they got a nicer car. Hmm. They got a bigger house. Why are they going on all these trips? They keep posting about it. I want to go. I want to be there. I want to do this. I want to do that. It just is who we are in that sinful nature. It's all about us. And you couple that with this. We live in an age of self, <laughs> right? We got our iPhones, right? We take selfies, you know? Uh, we were down a couple of weeks ago and uh, Lisa and my wife, we, we, she's a photographer, so she loves to take pictures. And, 
and we took the kids. They wanted to go take pictures at some of the murals around Nashville. And so we were taking pictures at some of the murals. And it was amazing to me how people would come up and there'd be like a group of people. But no, it, you know, it was mostly girls, but there were guys too, you know, who would come up and they'd be like, they didn't want a group picture. They just want a picture with them in the mural. Like, hey, check me out, right? And they got the selfie happening and they're going, it must take like 30 pictures, right? And then there's duck lips, you know, and it's like all of these pictures and they got the filters, but uh, it, and you know, it's okay, but you're going, wow. Do you realize that there are 93 million selfies taken every day and posted? 93 million. Millennials, right? I actually love millennials. I gotta tell you, I, I just think this generation is awesome. I mean, I think they have a heart for the Lord. I think there's gonna be something great they're gonna do. You know, I, I really do. Uh, but, but man, they're growing up in this age of self. The average millennial, the average millennial will post 25,700 pictures of themselves, right? Selfies online, I mean, in their lifetime. And you're going, wow. In 2015, more people died of selfies than of shark attacks. I mean, right, they're on the Grand Canyon. I got to get the perfect shot. You know, it's just like, really? So don't worry about sharks anymore, okay? You know, it's the selfies. But we're living in this age of self. And we think that life is a movie and we're the star. And maybe that's a part of our reality show, you know, kind of life. But, but we think everybody else is a supporting actor. You know, we walk in the room and it's like, here I am. Instead of saying, hey, there you are, right? I mean, it's a whole different mindset. Like, nope, here I am. Check me out. You know, and man, that is so many times the way people live. I want to get in the car. I want to go. It doesn't matter. I'll figure it out along the way. But I am in a hurry and I want people to notice me. And to that, we see this. Life is not about me, but about God. And it changes everything in us, everything, when we acknowledge him. Look at this from Colossians. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Do you realize you were created for God? You were. You were created to have a relationship with God. That's why life doesn't make sense until you answer that question in your own heart. And we try to fill that hole in our heart with so many other things, with money, with success, with, with other people, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or, or kids. We want all these things, right? And not that those things are bad, but they don't bring fulfillment because we were created for a relationship with God first. That's when life makes sense. And I want to just challenge us and encourage us, man, us focus on the Lord, us look at the owner's manual, us go deeper, because it impacts not just me, it impacts the people around me. You know, when I, I go on mission trips and I love going to other places in the world and other places in the world, I mean, you know, they, they just they look at America and, and they see the way we live, but they also look at American teenagers and think, oh man, that's the American teenager. You know, they've got everything. And, and I think for us as parents or for us as a church, helping our kids as they grow up in this age of self to say, hey, I want you to understand that you've been created for God. And how do we do that? How do we do that, right? It's like me sitting in the car teaching Grace to drive, you know? See, here's how the buttons work. Here's what's important, you know? I've got to know that in order to teach her. But I've got to give her the experience there. And so I encourage you as a, as a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle to think about 
how can I take my kids on a mission trip one day? Maybe I could sponsor a child, an orphan, so that they know how other people live in the world. I've got to help them. I got to teach them as well that life is not just about them. That life is about the Lord. All right, number two, get this. Humility reflects spiritual maturity. Guys, this is a big one. We've seen the word humility a couple of times right here in this passage. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That is strong. Hey, humility is recognition of self in relation to God. That's from the dictionary, but it's so true. Recognition of self in relation to God. Hey, he's God, I'm not. (laughs) He's sovereign and in control and I'm not, right? And wherever I find myself, whatever circumstances I'm going through, he can be trusted and not just the things around me. Pride is the mother of all sins. The Bible talks about that. Pride is the mother of all sins. And it's so true, right? Because when it becomes about us, then it leads to us being ungrateful. It leads to us using people because I just wanna use them to further my own mission. I really don't care about them. I mean, it, it, it leads to all these things, bitterness and anger, things didn't go the way I wanted them to. So I'm frustrated. That's why pride is the mother of all sins. It puts me against God. It tries to elevate me over God. I know better than he does, right? Hey, humility is valuing others above yourself. And that's just a simple kind of thought. But if I'm gonna grow in humility, I start to value others. Now, now what, what's awesome to me is when people in the world and people in culture, they discover biblical truths, right? And, they, and then they come back to this and they think, oh, that's so amazing. And you're like, well, yeah, that's what the Bible taught the whole time. About 20 years ago, there was a book written called Good to Great. Incredible book, business book, kind of took the whole business community by storm because the author, Jim Collins, it's a great book, by the way, but he, but he takes like two companies and he'll compare them. Same market conditions, same things that are going on, but why does one company you know, surpass in earnings and do really well. And this other company start to fade off and companies just die away. What, what was the difference? And you know what he comes back to? Leadership, right? He looks at this. And so then he says, okay, well, let's start looking at the CEOs. Let's start looking at the leadership teams. What was distinguishable about them that made a difference? Why did this company excel in the same market conditions, right? They, they have leadership, they have leadership, but what is the difference? And he started to look at these five levels of leadership. And he goes, well, there's a competent level and then there's a you know, successful, then there's you know, a manager, then there's an effective leader, but there is one difference, a great leader. And he started looking at all these companies and the ones with these great leaders. And now when you go to level four, these effective leaders, they're what we would think about. You know, high charismatic, you know, they're the ones that know the answers, they're the ones that are hard chargers. But the thing that distinguished him, that made him a great leader was this one word, <laughs> humility. Humility, that's what he discovered. That's what he comes down to. He goes, the ones that succeed have humility. The ones that succeed, they go in and they try to build a team. They help everybody have a voice. They help bring value to the company. And he was like, humility. And I was thinking, when I read the book, I was like, really? That's been in the owner's manual the whole time. I mean, that has gone back the whole time. But we get caught up 
in the culture, in itself. And we run after that and we think, I'm going to pattern my life after this versus coming over here because it works. Jesus makes you better. Jesus works. Hey, are you growing in your humility? Are you growing in your humility? We want to grow in our knowledge, right? We want to grow in our success. We want to grow in our wealth. But, but really, are you growing in your humility? Are you making the people around you better? Are you encouraging your spouse, your kids? Or are you just going, man, I'm so tired when I get home. I just got to, you know, I just, I don't have time for this, right? Are you encouraging your roommates? Are you, are you helping the people at your work? Are you helping people be better? You know what? That's what Jesus did. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he shared communion, like we shared communion last week. But you know what else he did? When he came into that upper room that night, there was a, a wash basin. And, and that was always the role of the lowest servant. They would be the one to wash people's feet because people's feet are nasty, one, right? But two, people walked around in sandals and it was muddy and dirty. And he walks into the room and they had rented this room for the, for the last supper. And so there's nobody there to wash the feet. And what does Jesus do? He gets the wash basin and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. I mean, like literally going down and he's washing their feet in this service, in this humility. And the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, wait, but no, 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 wait. You're our teacher, you're our rabbi, you're our master. And he goes, yes, you're right. And I've set an example for you. This is what you should do. Game changer. This is what you should do serve, love. And so are you growing in your humility? Are you maturing? C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down and going, oh, I'm terrible. I don't have any abilities. No, no, no. God gave you abilities. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be ambitious. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. <laughs> And when we get to that point, we're like, how can I build them up? How can I encourage them? How can I help them? How can I make a difference, right? How can I slow down sometimes and like pour into those around me? That's humility. All right, number three, the goal of your life is to look more like Jesus. The goal of your life is to look more like Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul's like, here's the picture. Here's the standard. Here's what I want you to go for. Paul points to the ultimate example of how Jesus, right? Of how our life should look like Jesus. Here's the ultimate example. And so what are we focused on? Are we focused on the world? Are we focused on reality shows? Are we focused on, you know, travel and leisure or success? Or are we focused on Jesus? Does your life look more like Jesus or culture? I mean, if you were to evaluate your time, your money, your energy, your passion? Does your life look more like Jesus or culture? And I think we always have to look at that. Am I maturing in my faith? Are you developing the characteristics of Jesus? Now, what are those characteristics? Well, we come back here, right? Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, servanthood, being found in human likeness and being found the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, humility, love. Are these the growing characteristics in my life? See, the goal of your life is to become more Christ-like. That's the goal. 
The goal is not how much money can I have in my 401k? The goal is not to get a certain car or the goal is not just to get married or, or to have more kids. Or, those are all things that are good. They're all things that are fine. They're all things that God will, will use and bless. But the goal is to be Christ-like. The goal is to know him. Here's what it says in Romans, right? For those God foreknew, meaning God knows who's gonna accept him. God's drawing all people in the world to himself. God wants to have a relationship, but, but God knows. He also predestined. That means he's got a plan and a purpose. If you're in Christ, then this is what should come out of your life. And the purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son. So the goal of your life is to look more like Jesus. A lot of times as believers, we think the goal is heaven. The goal is not heaven. Heaven's the reward. (laughs) Heaven's gonna come, right, when we die. The goal is to look more like Jesus because life is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Everything revolves around Jesus. Everything revolves around Jesus. You know, about 500 years ago, there was a guy named Copernicus. And Copernicus, a German mathematician, he made this incredible discovery. He said, hey, earth, (laughs) hey, everything doesn't revolve around us. I know we've thought this for a long time, that it was all about us, that we were the center of the universe. We're not. The sun, everything revolves in our galaxy around the sun. And people are like, what? You're crazy, you know? But it's right. And in our lives, man, we all revolve around Jesus, the sun. And for him, that we should reflect the glory of God. It's not us having to produce it. It's us reflecting him. Everything revolves around Jesus. Joy comes when we get this right, right? J, Jesus first. Oh, others second. Why? Yourself third. If you start thinking like that, you start living like that, it will change the way you live. Like Jesus first. What can I do for the glory of God today? Hey, how can I build up others today? Second, how can I help them grow? How can I help them become? And then God's gonna take care of me. God's gonna provide for me. Yourself third. All of history will culminate at the throne of Christ. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he came in humility. He came in grace. He came to bring us in right relationship with God. But when he comes the second time, he's coming in all of his power and all of his glory. He will step into this world and he will say, enough, enough pain, enough suffering. And then he'll separate the sheep from the goats, the people who know him, who follow him, who love him, and people who don't. And there is gonna be a day of reckoning, but we're all gonna stand before the throne of Christ. We will, it will happen. And one day, every person will bow before Jesus. And so the question is, am I gonna bow now or am I gonna wait and bow later? Well, I bow now and say, God, I know that you created me for a relationship with you. I know that you know how my life should work and how this world should work. And and, and I'm gonna submit my life to you. And I wanna live my life for your glory. Guys, that's how a fulfilling life is lived. That's where joy comes and hope and peace and purpose. Start now. Don't wait. Start now. The best years of your life are still ahead, but live it right. Live it right. Hey, has Jesus moved from Savior to Lord of your life? 
Has he moved from just being the Savior, right, that, that I, I can have eternity with him, but is he the Lord? Am I living every day for his name and for his glory? Uh, God tells us how it ends. If you read to the end of this owner's manual, reread to the end of the Bible, God wins. God wins. It's awesome. We're on the winning team. So let's live it all now for the glory of God. Let's say, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life. Let me grow in grace. Let me be a servant. Let me be humble. Let me be kind. Use me, God, for your glory. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, that God is here. And God is with you right now. He's drawing you to himself. He's inviting you to a deeper relationship with him. I wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are, wherever you're watching from. And can you just do that to block out the distractions around you? And would you just say, God, speak to me. God, what are you saying to me? Maybe if you're honest, you'll just go, you know, I'm selfish. Life's been about me. And today I wanna, I wanna commit my life to you, Jesus. Jesus, forgive my sins, heal me, redeem me, restore me. I wanna be yours. Maybe if you're honest, you'll just go, you know, I've been trying to do it my own way. I've been getting in the car, pushing all the buttons and, and I just wanna go fast. I wanna go. It's all been about me. But, but today I wanna take a deep breath and just say, Jesus, let me live it your way. I wanna be humble. I wanna be a servant. Maybe there's some relationships that you need to pray for right now. Maybe your marriage or with your roommates or with your kids, maybe people at work, and say, I wanna do it differently. I wanna be a man or woman after God's heart. So Father, here we are, your disciples gathered in your name. And, and Father, we come to reorder our lives around the way you created the world, the way you created us. Jesus, be the Lord of our life and let us live our life for you. Thank you that you love us, that you're with us, that you're for us. Thank you for your son and that we celebrate Jesus today. Father, we commit our lives to you. In your name we pray, amen.